heard a lot of players say, oh, like my, co- my coach doesn't work on that. And I just kind of smile and because it's just one of those things, right? Like if you're relying on somebody else to get you to where you want to be, then you might not get there. Making an Athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. This is Making an Athlete Podcast. I'm Ty Davis, and on today's show, we talk to Jordan Farrell, current head coach of the semi-professional Oakland Roots Football Club. Farrell is the former head coach of the MLS-bound Sacramento Republic's U-17 and U-19 academy teams and former assistant coach for the Division I University of the Pacific's men's soccer team. Farrell previously played professionally in Germany before moving into his coaching career. Jordan joins us today to discuss youth soccer in the United States and talk soccer culture fit and the importance it plays in the recruiting process and the team's success. Jordan Farrell, uh, head coach of Oakland Root Sports Club. And I appreciate you getting on today to talk to me about uh, soccer. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, thanks for having me. And um, uh, I'm excited for the conversation. All right. And so we're talking about your college experience, your semi-professional experience, and then now um, your experience uh, on the other side as a, a head coach of the Oakland Root Sports Club. You know, start off as 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 a kid. You know, how did you start playing soccer? Um, how do you choose soccer? Did you play any other sports growing up? Um, I started. I mean, I, I played sports my entire life. My dad was a um, Division One football player, um, and so and he also played basketball and other sports growing up. So he was he was a big part of my sporting experience and I had an older brother who was um as you know if you have two boys in a house your parents want want you to get a lot of energy out sports <laughs> is a good good avenue for that so we um we grew up playing literally every sport in the neighborhood I grew up in um like uh, I I I would say soccer is a sport that I probably played the longest um I started my brother was 3 years older than me so he started playing at, at 5 and by the time you know uh, it was like three and a half or four when you could get into get into a league of some sort. I started playing as well. So and I played you know my entire life se- since then. But I also played t-ball all the way through um, you know the end of majors as a twelve-year-old and played basketball as well. Ran track in high school um, and at all of those sports, I was always you know kind of pretty good. Um, I wasn't like the best of the best, but I also wasn't average. So it was a good experience for me to have, uh, whether it's individual sport or team sport, um, experience growing up. Um, it was, it was cool. Very different to kind of the sporting landscape. Now, I think a lot of people, uh, especially around my age would have had that multi-sport experience on some level. Um, but now it's, it's all, it's all sports specialization. So, it's a little bit, little bit different. But um, when I got to high school, so actually we we won the section with my track team the spring of my senior year, and um, you know we we're, we're pretty good. I got a couple guys that went to the NFL, a couple guys that went on to were were like uh, junior track. Uh, you know, some of the guys went in for the the U.S. team, uh, and and. and at 16, 17 years old. So we were, we were pretty good. Um, That's a nice roster. Where, where did I, you go to high school or what, what school was that? Yeah. Lincoln high school here in Stockton. So, okay. um, 
was uh, it's a sports school. A lot of guys going going all over the the country for. Uh, I would say male and female from the school um, going all over the country for sports of all types from volleyball, basketball. Um, but a lot of like the football players, basketball players and soccer players, we all ran track together in the spring. Those that didn't play baseball. So it was a, uh, it was a cool team because it was a team of guys that were all really good in their other sports. And then we came together and, and were competitive in track. So it was, it was pretty awesome, but I had to make a decision as I went into college. And my big thing was that I was, uh, I, you know, I saw myself as an athlete. I, I couldn't imagine going to school for just school. So, um, you know, because I wasn't, uh, I didn't play like a lot of club soccer. I guess it in some tournaments and things like that when I was growing up. Um, but, uh, we, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really involved in the club circuit or in the recruiting process as it was back then. So had a couple bites at division two schools, division three schools and settled, uh, not too far from home in the Bay area, Cal state East Bay. And, um, honestly, as a person, probably the best four years. And as a player, I think I, uh, I learned a lot. I, I definitely learned that I wanted to be a coach during the four years in, in college. And as a player, I, you know, I was, I was a pretty good player in a very average team, um, for a couple of years, I think. Um, <laughs> but it was a good experience cause I always wanted more, you know, I always wanted right. to learn more. Um, I think nowadays, you know, somebody who is in my shoes probably would have transferred, um, after the first two years when I realized kind of what the bigger soccer world was, um, you know, you get into college and you play on, teams in the summer you play indoor you play with guys you know a lot of the local guys were like stanford and cal and um san francisco state and um you know san jose state like those types of schools were all the guys that we were playing pickup with um and so it really opened my eyes during that period of time plus during that period of time was the best uh thing that could have happened i got like the soccer channels which at the time was like two channels <laughs> but i started watching like just an insane amount of soccer um, I would watch like probably four games a day. Um, wow. We had DV, we had DVR too. And my friends would always joke, like, uh, they'd leave my house and I'd be watching the game and they'd come back a couple hours later and I would be watching games. <laughs> so, um, it was those things that kind of, uh, really opened my eyes. And then, you know, in college, you just have so much free time. So I just used to work with the ball every single day. Stuff that a lot of players, um, did as younger kids I did in college, just working, you know, on my touch repeatedly with the wall. And I think that's what allowed me to, as I finished college, be able to go, uh, have a okay semi-pro experience, uh, here in the U S and then over overseas. I went to Germany for a couple of years afterwards, after graduating, um, and or for about a year and a half. And, and, um, it was a really good experience to see, an incredible soccer culture, an incredible soccer structure, like the German structure for player development and for competition is one of the best in the world. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was, it was just an awesome experience to be there. And then to see like, Hey, I'm 20, you know, 22 years old and this little 10 year old sees the game and has better technique than, than I'll ever have. So huh. it was motivating, uh, cause I started working. So, um, I worked camps a lot in, in college during the summer to make some money. But when I went over to Germany is when I actually started like coaching a team and I was an assistant coach. Um, it was cool. The first club that I was at, I was able to, the, the kids in the U 11s and U 12s spoke English at about the level that my German was. So right. we got, 
on because they were they were trying to learn their English. They were, you know, that's where I guess they begin kind of English studies some earlier than others. But um, I was learning German rapidly, and it was good to talk with with kids um, that could help explain stuff. So it was a, it was a cool experience. Um, both of my parents are educators. I've worked in education my entire life, so I kind of had that feeling about education. But soccer was really the sport that that kind of lit my fire. Obviously, the stuff in college, and then. So I started coaching while I was over there. And my second, my second club that I was with, I really, I took the, the playing contract because I could be an assistant for the U17s. And our U17s were, um, they were good. They played in the second division in, in Germany, which was in Bavaria. And Bavaria is like to Germany what California is to, to kind of the United States. I would say like the, okay. the bigger state. It's the more well, well known. You know, you have teams that like Bayern Munich that have come out of there. So it's a real powerhouse, um, on the, on the global scale. Uh, and there's just a lot of really good players there and, and good clubs. So that 17th team was, was awesome. We actually beat <clears throat> Bayern Munich. Like one of the, my first like big wins as a coach, as an assistant was, uh, at Bayern Munich. Um, you are you 17th played there like you 16 and, uh, it was, it was, it was huge. Um, so great experience there. And then I just knew, you know, I knew I wanted to come back, start my master's and really get started coaching. Uh, and specifically here in Stockton where I, I grew up, um, you know, I think the structure of soccer, especially inside the United States, like I said, competition wise and player development is at a interesting point. 10 years ago, is at a really interesting point, but they're just, it's such fertile soil. So it was cool. I was very passionate about it. And then I, I moved back and really jumped into coaching and have been, really kind of a like full-time coach at uh, almost almost every level uh for the last eight nine years um my time here inside in the central valley and now being in the bay area um in a, in an area that's i would say underdeveloped from a structure soccer structure standpoint which is a uh, uh makes it a unique place and it has been a unique project um, working here and I've gotten to know some really cool people, um, in that, in that process. So that's a little bit my journey to, to this point, multi-sport, but dove into, dove into, to coaching. I did my master's in, um, coaching science, sports pedagogy, Okay. because that was, uh, you know, I did my undergrad in sociology. I figured if I do, if I understand people and how they interact, then no matter what job I end up doing, I'm, I'm going to be needing that. So, um, uh, that was, uh, that was kind of my reason behind that. Um, but then, you know, my master's degree was definitely what I wanted to, wanted to do, knew what I wanted to do. And, and it was a terrific experience at Pacific actually kind of how, how you and I met. So, yeah. Um, and so when, and when you mentioned Pacific, and I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast, he's, you know, talking about University of Pacific, uh, based out of Stockton there. Um, you know, like you mentioned, this is where we met. I, I was a, a baseball player there and, and, um, well, you, you, you were, uh, how did, actually, how did we meet there? Because this, the soccer program. Yeah, so, so I was at. Exactly. So I was actually doing, so I was, um, my first, uh, full-time coaching job. Uh, a lot of college coaches and not all of them, but a lot of college coaches, you know, you're not getting, getting paid all that well for coaching college. So you also work in club, um, or it's just a really good way to connect the youth to the, mm -hmm. to the uh, college level. So, um, my first job was working with the club while I was an assistant at Delta college, the junior college That's there, right. just literally a mile up the road. 
And then I got on as a head coach for about two years. And, and all the while I was working through my master's at, at UOP. So when I got to, um, actually we found out our master's class, um, and, uh, some people in the department, we found out they were getting men's soccer. Um, so cool, like really cool for the region. Um, uh, I say region, kind of the central Valley, because, you know, you only have, you have Merced, which is an NAI school. You have uh, a lot of junior college activity in the central Valley for sure. But Fresno state doesn't have a men's soccer program. Stanislaus has a men's soccer program and they're D2 and they do, they do a really good job of having local players in there. But, um, and then you have the Davises and Sac State, but really, you know, UOP is an awesome place. The field, the facilities, the the school um, is an awesome, awesome place to start Division One soccer. So, you know, I was obviously on campus, knew a lot about Pacific. My wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, but we were dating, and she was working uh, for the women's women's basketball program. So I knew a lot of what was going on. Um, so when they hired Ryan Jordan as a head coach. I actually found him at a women's soccer game like a couple of days after it was announced. And, uh, and he and I chatted and I kind of told him what I felt about like the opportunity here. And, um, so then after my fall season, um, I made the move over to, to UOP. And so we had, he had been on since August. Um, only there's no team on campus, only a club team. And, and he was just recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. So, uh, and getting everything in place, obviously starting a brand new program from scratch. There's a, there's a lot to be done. Yeah. Um, and so he had, a, I think about 11 players signed when I, when I got on in January, I started January of 2013, no, January, 2014. And, um, and that inaugural season was that fall. So we signed uh, 12 more players over the course of the spring and, and really got going. Um, there was a lot of buzz around the program. Obviously, I'm from um, Stockton, so it was cool for a lot of the people that I grew up with in the soccer scene here to be uh, real supportive. I think our first like preseason friendly in the fall, we didn't. There was no marketing or anything like that, and um, about seven or eight hundred people in the stands, and it was just like a, against Dominican or something like that, D two, and so it was. Uh, it was just cool to see the process of building a program like that from scratch, like from it was 30 years ago that they, they closed the program down um, division one soccer. So, yeah, um, I mean, you guys, and then you the, guys went right in there and brought it to national ranks, you know, within the first couple of years that you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I, some people, uh, it, it looks, you know, it's like one of those things where like, it looks like it, it happened really fast. I think for all of us that were on the inside, it was like, <laughs> God wrenching because we went through the first two years of like we lost. I think we won a total of four games across the first two years, and one of those games was a, against a Division three opponent. So it was like it wasn't even. Um, but we, there was an identity that we were trying to get to. Right. Uh, I think that that was the piece, and and that was what Ryan and I spoke about, and we got you know um, good support from other people. Our, our staff was amazing in 2016 when we actually made what was from 15 to 16 was the best, best turnaround in NCAA history. So from one fifteen and one to 13, four and two. Um, so that was really cool. And, and, and to see them go on, you know, I, I made the move shortly after um, uh, to a, a different opportunity just up the road, but to see them go on and for the next couple of years, they've been, awesome and and really competed against unfortunately stanford's in our in our region <laughs> and so um stanford they they've met stanford twice i think in the national tournament 16 17 and then 18 uh was they had to go out and play duke 
in the second round, but they've been, I mean, it's been a couple of years that they've been in the national tournament and, and really just a, a different, um, different way of doing things. Um, you know, Ryan's obviously, uh, moved to, to UCLA. And so we'll see what, what the new coach there, there brings, but Ryan built an incredible program and, um, and it showed on the field. It showed with the, the type of guys that were there because the, re- the recruiting strategy was, hey, we're not going to get, you know, the big, uh, big name guys out of these big clubs, but let's be really smart and, and resourceful in finding late developers, you know, okay. and, and uh, or, or guys who maybe it's a psychological thing or guys who maybe we play, you know, and the, the big thing was maybe we play a way that values certain players that, most people won't. And that really changed. Um, I would say that really changed it for us is that, that I mean, after year two, we had a big change in the squad. Some guys left, some guys graduated, and then we were able to bring in a couple guys that really made, made a difference, but they were built on top of a core that was, you know, we had guys on the field at the, in that, in that third year who had played a lot of games and lost a lot of games and hated losing. And so we added to that. Uh, we added to that culture some some guys that were, you know, from out of the country and from inside the country that could really make a difference. And it was a, yeah, it was a cool cool process there. Okay, well that's 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 pretty cool. And I, I mean, I, I got to uh, see that you know firsthand, which was which was pretty awesome. Um, seeing that that program grow, I was you know part of the athletic department post you know my graduating and playing baseball and, and worked there in that department and got to see a beginning part of you guys working hard to build that up. I, I wasn't at the university anymore once you guys actually started playing um, your games, but or your matches, sorry. Uh, but what I want to dive into is kind of what you're talking about there and, the, and what a lot of the listeners like to, to understand and, and learn about. So a lot of parents and, and the current youth athletes out there is understanding that recruiting process um, and you know specific to soccer with you kind of mentioned how you know when you were you were growing up and it's a similar story for myself is you know I didn't have a lot of exposure to uh, year-round uh, sports or or club sports or you know travel ball for me I just lived in a, a certain area that you know what you had was American Legion and you you played seasonal sports um, now when you're looking at um, and even your experience overseas in Germany um, what are the the correct channels or the process that that youth soccer players should be taking to get to that next level, whether it's, um, you know, any pre pre high school and then getting to high school. And then, um, after you answer that, we'll talk a bit more about the, the college recruiting process, but I guess your, your view on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, soccer is in a, a crazy place. I'd say like right now inside the United States, because, um, there's just a lot of attention being paid to it. And it's good. I mean, it's really, really beneficial for the sport. So after, uh, well, while at, at Pacific, we also worked with a local club because we wanted to to do that as well. We wanted to help guys get to use their, you know, soccer abilities to help get their education paid for. Um, you know, this, the the reality of the professional, you know, uh, aspiration is that there's there's some kids that can do that and that's very few. Um, and then the majority of kids, Hey, like I played, you know, I hear parents say like, well, we're putting a lot of money in and we want, you know, something on, on the, on the end. And you look at how much, first of all, club sports costs. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's tough to see. Um, but that's also one of the big, 
you know, the big avenues. I, I think that's where, um, that's where a lot of players are found for colleges, you know? And, right. um, it's, I don't think it's so important to be in a club at 10 years old. Um, I know I'm, I know some club directors are probably going to kill me because they're like, Hey, you're killing us. But, um, no, I, I don't think it's so important to be there then. I think actually up until 12 is when kids should be, you know, kids should be kids. They need to be playing with their friends and playing for the, for the enjoyment of playing and hopefully getting good coaching, you know, like that's the, that's the important piece. Uh, but up until 12, you know, that's when, that's when you're building, you're building good movers, you know, you're building people who can, um, adapt and you're, you're trying to expose the, the person as a, uh, as a mobile human and in as much different ways as possible. So different sports are really important. So, um, I think, you know, you, you develop, you can talk about any number of things like, um, dexterity, uh, tactical creativity. You can talk about all the things that prior to 12 are really, really important. Kids who play basketball, see different solutions, uh, when they play soccer than somebody who only plays soccer, kids who play baseball have a different space time orientation of like beating out a throw or um, just the mechanics of throwing a ball. So those things are really important in building uh, young players and they prevent against injury. That's there's tons and tons of research. So, um, you know, then after Pacific, I moved up to Republic and that was cool because I worked at almost every age from, well, I did work every age from 12 years old up to, up to 19 years old building players. Um, Correct. Yeah. Sacramento Republic in the youth Academy. And so, um, we were at a different level of that process of like getting guys to college and, and, um, and the professional ranks. So that was one Avenue. And in soccer inside the United States, you have like club soccer, you have high school soccer, which club and high school usually go hand in hand where, where the clubs take in the certain region will take a break for the most part. Not every club will but they'll take a break during the high school season so that players can do, can do both. Um, but Academy soccer is a different, uh, it's a different organization and it's a different beast. That's, um, 10, 11 months out of the year. Um, and that's where the MLS clubs are and a lot of other high profile academies are. And in soccer, that's, that's, um, it's an interesting, uh, like it's supposed to be a higher level. The Academy is, and I don't know, in a lot of respects, it is for sure. But there's also a lot of very talented players and very good teams that are developing players equally uh, to the Academy that aren't inside the Academy competing. So the big thing for, um, for, for me about those players coming through is like finding the right fit for a player's development. And when, when we're talking about, um, you know, when we're talking about junior high, high school ages, I've, I've seen very good players where they've, you know, rushed to being um, in a car for an hour and a half a day, two hours a day at 13, 14. And that's probably stunted the player's development. And I've also seen very good players who uh, didn't get into the right environment at, 13, 14, and that stunted their development. So there's not a one size fits all really for, for in terms of developing play a, a player to be ready for, for um, a college career or a uh, professional career. There's not, there's not that avenue, at least in soccer, but you do want to be playing with better players and you do want to be playing at, in better competition. 
And I think that's the most important thing as players move into junior high and then really into high school. Um, you know, we, when I was with Republic, I really targeted, we targeted 13s and 14s as, as players that we wanted with us. But if there was a player outside of there, we really targeted the U15 age group okay. as like, Hey, we, we want to have a lot of the, as they go into freshman year, because I have nothing against high school soccer. Obviously my experiences with high school soccer were incredible. But I'm also aware now of the standard difference. And I go and I watch high school soccer games. And there's an incredible social aspect to high school soccer playing for your high school in front of your friends. And that type of stuff um, is great. But the standard of, of soccer is, is way different. Um, <laughs> I could say I, so that's I, not- I played, uh, I was a goalie my sophomore year in soccer in high school. And, and I could say that I was uh, nowhere near what any of those club players might be. So I'm, I'm that guy that you're talking about that, uh, is not, but not, but really not that good at soccer. I was just there to play another sport. And, uh, I could tell you that if I were to go to a club, I would, I'd be told to go home because, uh, I didn't have a chance. Yeah. to make it. And so, and, and that's like, you know, that that's hit or miss in the high school world. And I think, you know, I, I, I say this because on, you know, on social media or in the media, there's a big debate of like, oh, are academy players suffering not being able to play high school? And like, I, I can also say that there's some academies that don't do any better than some high schools. Like there's some high schools that do an incredible job. They're uh, playing a way that's really developing players technically, tactically, and thinking about their yeah. physical and psychological development. Um, and then there's some high schools that are like, Hey, that's the, the players are the coaches, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's the part about why I say find the best fit for who, who you are as a player, as a young player, and then who you are as a family and, and what your values are. I think that's, that's important. But at those ages, sorry, not but and at those ages it's really crucial if you do have collegiate aspirations that you're playing with better players okay. uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean winning games but usually a hallmark of development is that there's a high level of of, of top development is that there's a high degree of competition and 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 winning from that so um i i like I would say in soccer, the biggest thing is like to try to find people. If you know, if you're moving to a new place or or you're in a certain community, it's like try to find people who where or places where players have gone on to college, and that'll give you a college or professional ranks, and that'll give you an indication of like, hey, they're they're doing something right there. Um, and and the big thing about um, the college process in in youth development that I always say is like, there's so there's so many different colleges. Division one is what everybody knows because it's the most visible. But there's so many colleges and I've had players, uh, friends of mine, obviously I was a division three athlete, but, um, I've had players go on to have professional careers after division, division one, two, three. Um, I've had players have incredible experiences at the NAI level. And I know some very good NAI coaches. Um, so it's about really finding the right fit for, for you as a player and you as a family. Cause there's a, there's, you know, you could go division one and be, quite a bit in debt or you could play an AI and have zero debt and win a national championship. And then you have to decide kind of what's the, what's the best platform for you or Avenue for you. Um, and fit. Yeah. I, I could say that I mean, based off what you just said there, you know, when I was recruited out of junior college for baseball, I had a D two recruit me 
and um, obviously University of Pacific. And I chose to go there, but that D2 went on to win the national title the next year. And you can always from the outside look at it and you're like, oh man, they have, they got rings. But um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's find that right fit and, and, and choosing it. Now you spoke a little bit about um, like the Sac Republic um, Academy is correct, what you called it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you talk a little bit about, I mean, academies are, are they kind of a, a newer thing in the United States compared to uh, Europe? I know Europe is, has a lot of academies built um, into their, their professional teams. Um, you mentioned it's a 10 to 11 month commitment. What, what goes into being a part of a committee, uh, an academy or uh, being chosen to be at an academy as that's. Growing? Yeah. So, um, so the academy level was built uh, about 10 years ago in, in, uh, by U S soccer to address that kind of, uh, well, the, they, they espoused that it was to, to address the, the, um, quality or the just array, like array of options in the, in the soccer landscape. Um, and they wanted to kind of start filtering towards the top. Obviously the, all of the MLS clubs now it's a mandate that they have a, um, an academy in there. A lot of the, second division. So USL clubs are starting to build, uh, academies as well. And it's a way for, for some people to control their product, but it's also a for some clubs that have maybe, um, just simply better organization or higher aspiration to put themselves with more competitive, uh, with a more competitive environment. The game day has a lot more structure, you know, you see high standard of officiating and, you know, everybody says whatever they want about officials, but a, a much higher standard about, uh, of officiating and just quality, the quality control is a little bit there. And so the way of getting in is going to be different to every single club. Some of the clubs that I know that are academies, like they only choose from their, their club that's underneath them. Um, and some of the other clubs are, uh, they have scouting networks that they're finding players all over. So in terms of that, I think it's, again, like it's a, it's a wide open, um, wide open market and everybody's going to do things differently. I know like some of the big MLS clubs, they scout all over the country and try to find kids and nooks and crannies that nobody knows them and, and, and bring them into their Academy and build them, uh, uh, as players, you know, away from home and, and, um, in their, it really just only focused on, on football and their academics. Um, and then other academies are very localized. So they're, they're going to deal with players only within their region. Um, and you can, you know, you can go on ussoccer.com if you're unfamiliar with that. But I would say if somebody's in, in interested in college, it could be aware of, of the, they're probably aware of the difference between, between those two. But it, at Republic, we were, you know, we were, it was an interesting process there because the first year, two years, it was, it was fully funded as if they were moving to MLS. And then there was some, some delay on the MLS announcement. And so the Academy then morphed into, um, uh, still a professional track, but there was pay to play associated with it now. And, um, and so that changed the dynamic of, uh, of where just the pause on MLS, just the, the Academy saw a hit, um, in terms of what they were initially and then what they, they transitioned to. But I think there's just an announcement that they're signing their first, first two homegrowns, um, uh, this, 
this year. And so, uh, as they move towards MLS, and so I think it's a, it's still a place, you know, and there's quite a few guys that have come through that Academy that are playing professionally and a big, every year, a big class of guys playing division one, division two soccer, uh, out of the Academy. So I think it's, uh, that was cool because to be on the other side of the recruiting process of that high level, you know, kids going to, uh, Ivy league. So some of the kids used, uh, that I was, I was coaching, they used the Academy level to match their academic standard and then go after, you know, a slot in the Ivy league playing, because that was for them, that was success. You know, they, they wanted to get into a, a top level college, get a really good degree in that respect and what they were, what they were looking for, and then maybe have some professional chances afterwards, but they were really self-aware that like, Hey, I'm going to college and, and uh, I'm using soccer as a tool for admission into a college of my choice. Then some of the other guys were like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to college, but I'm only going to college for a year two years to make it professionally. Mm. Um, and so you had all these different, um, tracks within, within, uh, you know, and then we had guys in, in my U19s that were at junior college, um, you know, had been there for a year or, or, um, in some cases they started early at junior college. So they were trying to kind of take care of academics, but also giving themselves a chance to play at a high level, see what happens professionally, and then maybe find a better college the year after high school, um, than, than what the opportunities were when they were there, because that extra year of development was, was, was crucial for them. So, um, the Academy is, I mean, I would say uh, you had guys that played on clubs in like right next door to the Academy that are playing division one soccer. But if you look at that, the teams that I have, you have a lot of guys going to division one schools, uh, out of our teams. And, and so it shows that they were playing, you know, coaches could come watch one of our games against another opponent. And there's, you know, 11 v 11, and you have probably 15 division one players on the field. So that's the difference between the Academy and, and, and most club games. There's still some club games where you have, you know, 20 division one players on the field. So, um, so it's an interesting landscape. Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, before we're going to move on, uh, here shortly to, to kind of the recruiting process, but one last thing I want to touch on, um, uh, you know, as part of that's, that's heavy part of that youth age group is, is two things. And, uh, that's, that's individual lessons or, or finding a specific skills coach, um, you know, what, what to look for in finding that coach, what's important. And, and again, what age is a, is a good age to focus on having that one-on-one coaching. And then on top of that, understanding camps and, you know, in terms yeah. of baseball, you know, you have camps that are hosted at universities, you have prospect camps, um, and you, you'll need to educate me a little bit better on, on, on soccer or football camps and, and what, what parents or athletes should be looking for in those camps. So first start on the individual lessons, um, what to look for, what's a good age, or even if there is any good to have individual lessons. Yeah. Um, so that's something that it's, it's interesting. That's something that I think got into soccer via, um, a lot via American sports. And now, um, you're finding like individual coaches of top professionals, um, over, you know, overseas as, as well. So I think the biggest thing with, that I found with individuals is that there's, there's a lot of people out there trying to take money. And so it's important to know, again, the product of, of people, obviously it's accessibility and, and who can afford it and all that kind of stuff. But it's important that, that you just see like, Hey, that guy has worked with these players and they've, 
consistently gone on to, to this level that I want to be at. Hey, that's maybe a place where I should go. Um, and then the, the age of it, I think, um, the golden age of learning is 12 to 14. And so, um, be, before that, uh, it depends on, it certainly always depends on the player before that. I, I, I've seen kids that are like, yeah, I mean, it's fun and, and all of that, but then they hit 12, 14 and then they're like not interested in the sport anymore. So I would say, <laughs> you know, deal with that as a player, certainly as you get to, um, a higher level, uh, you know, certain individual development things become really, really, really a priority. It can't just be, Hey, I play on a team that wins, but I'm, I'm going to work on these aspects of my game that are going to improve. So, um, that's what, that's my feeling on individual coaching. But the big thing that I, I see, and I see a lot of benefit to are players who work with an individual strength and conditioning coach, because that can really help them, uh, take ground where their team sport coach doesn't spend a ton of time on that. Um, and so, but technical skills is, is equally as important. Right, um, I think camps. to the camps, to the, yeah, to the ID camps and, and, and whatnot, um, they are an important tool for college. Every college coach does their camps differently. And that's something to be, uh, to be aware of. Um, and then they're really good camps. Like I worked a couple camps when I was coaching where it was like quite a few, um, coaches from different schools that were of different levels. And so the performances of players like maybe could have caught the eye of, of three or four coaches where if they would have gone to a camp of only one uh, school, they only would have interest from that one school. So at different points in time, those, those things are important. I would say as a, in soccer generally as, as um, freshman, sophomore, even junior, um, you want to be going to those camps with more and more people. But as you're refining your process, if you really like a school, go to their camp. And if they really like you, they'll, they'll usually treat you well in that process at camp. If they don't really like you, not to say they're going to treat you poorly, but um, at least you'll have a better sense of who the, the coaching staff that you'll be wanting to play for is and, uh, and, and how the, the team plays and what the school is like those things that you can get from being on campus for these, these ID camps that are hosted by specific colleges. All right. Uh, and, and that's, that's uh, like your time. That's important. And in, in finding um, the right caps or the right exposure. And I, you may not be able to, um, you know, get an exact list of, of the universities there, but knowing that there's going to be several um, and that, you know, if, a, if a, University shows interest and you have that coach that you just build out a great relationship with. That's, that's huge because having that, that positive relationship with that coach and, and being on the same page can help you just develop, you know, immensely once you get there, if you get there. Um, let's talk about oh, yeah. that. It's all, that. It's all about fit. Exactly. And, and talking about fit, actually, you know what, if you can go back to, you know, that time, that time wasn't too long ago, your time at University of Pacific, uh, and, and that college aspect, what, what are some of the things that as a college coach, you're looking at when you're recruiting a, a player, even I know UOP University of Pacific was division one, but it doesn't have to be just division one, it could be two, three in AIA or even JUCOs, you know, um, you could speak on, on your experience, but what are you looking for in athletes and, and being able to bring them to your university? 
Yeah. Um, so one, one of my core values was, was growth mindset. Um, and I think that shows in, um, a lot of different ways, but we, you know, we talk about ceiling like athletically, um, and, and that's, that was always important for us as, a um, at you at UOP, we wanted to always project what's a guy ceiling, um, athletically, technically, um, and then the psychological piece. And that's where the growth mindset was, was there. You know, we wanted, we wanted to create a, a, a room full of soccer junkies and guys who had an, an appetite for the game, because that would, uh, you know, that would, that would drive a lot of other decisions that players, players would make. And we also wanted to make sure that the guys, even if they were a good fit for us on the field, that they would be good, good fit in the locker room. So you, you, you know, have do digging into the character of people, how they are around training. And then I always loved when I was recruiting, you know, not just watching a player on the field, but you know, you see how he, how he leaves the field, who he talks to when he leaves the field, uh, how he looks when he leaves the field, you know, that's a, it's a big piece, like especially at a, a recruiting event, a college, you know, showcase guys who look, um, they, they, take a, a pride in looking professionally as they're, as they're leaving the field instead of just, just bumming. It's like, they, they know they're presenting themselves to all these coaches, um, how they talk and who they interact with, how they interact, all that kind of stuff um, makes a big, big difference in how they're going to be away from their family. And, and when it's just them at, at school, you know? Um, so I think those are, those are pluses. And, and along with that, I mean, you, you want, guys with personality, you know, you want guys that aren't just duds, at least some, some coaches are, are a different way. They want guys who maybe are, are stoics and that's their, their, their team's personality. We always wanted guys that had personality that were, you know, cracking jokes or, or um, involved with their teammates in like a really like positive way. Because then if we put a locker room full of those guys, like you have a locker room full of personality and that's, that's awesome. You know? Um, and so, it all again, I think those things are, pretty consistent across the the landscape of people that are are recruiting uh but it also depends a lot on what the what the what the coach what the coach is looking for like i've seen coaches show up to field and go man that guy can't touch a ball like he has no like technical skills Oof, a one out of five but he's an incredible athlete and he just runs and and kicks people and i want that you know so it's like every school is different um and that's why it's fit that we go back to that um but with the character piece, I think is most people want good guys because there's just less headaches in the long run. And what piece of, and I know it's a big piece, but I'm still going to ask you this question. Uh, in looking at the academic or academics of an athlete, what do you, what are you looking for aside from good, great, you know, um, what yeah. really is it that makes, you know, if you can have an athlete that's a really good player, but if his academics aren't there, then obviously you can't get them to the university. So what are the major factors for academics? And we always, um, yeah, I mean, so when I was at Pacific, we would always, there was always one or two guys who like academically we knew weren't the strongest, right? Uh, they weren't terrible, but maybe they had a, a skid in, you know, sophomore year. Like we had a couple instances where certain things in people's families or, or personal life during high school made their grades hit the skid. Um, and we also had really good academic support at, at, at Pacific for players that weren't, you know, the strongest, but on the whole, we were looking for, uh, guys who really handled their academics 
uh, well. I mean, the 4.0 guy is ideal. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just like, okay, we don't have to worry about academics with that guy. But we also had guys that were like 3.0 in high school. And then they were like three sevens, three eights in college because it was what they were inspired to do with right. what they had available. Um, and so, and then some, you know, like, you know, some of our guys, we had to do a lot of work in the first year or two years that they were with us to get them to prioritize it. And then, you know, I, I saw a former player of mine that if you would have seen him academically coming out of high school, he was like, he, we had to babysit and now he's a teacher, huh. you know? So awesome. we, we, we also prioritized our culture academically and then we could, and on the whole, having really solid um, guys, maybe that needed a little guidance, but really solid guys in the classroom. Um, and then, and then we would add a couple guys that maybe needed, and we would pair them and, you know, in their housing with guys who were, uh, a lot stronger, let's just say it would be a good influence. <laughs> so that was, that was, that was our strategy. But with, you know, with my guys at, at, at Republic, I would always say like academics and athletics, you can't be really like really good at one and just forget about the other. Cause that's going to show up, right. You're going to be unsettled about a test or unsettled about a, uh, paper or something like that when you walk onto the training pitch and you're going to be bad. So it's, and that's not going to get you selected. And then it's going to, you know, it's going to go in through that spiral. So managing your time wisely, if, if you want to achieve in anything, like you have to do that. And so that's really a lot of what academics is, um, for high school and into college is it's not necessarily intelligent, but it is really being intentional with, Hey, I have to do these things to be successful. And so how do I plan to be successful? And maybe I need to ask for help here, or maybe I need to sacrifice this social life piece to make sure that the things that are important, academics and athletics are, are I'm doing well. And I think, um, that's where I was a, I've been able to get through to a lot of people who, uh, you know, a lot of guys that I've had that have said, Hey, I hate, I hate going to school. Yeah. Okay. But, um, how do we get you to realize that it's, first of all, it's not that bad. And second of all, it's really about how you just manage yourself and, and handle what you need to handle. And, um, so that you can do what you want to do. And that's a good life lesson, right? It's like, you're not always going to be able to do what you want to do. So right now you have to do academics. And, uh, and if you do them really well, there's a big positive. If you don't do them really well, now you're going to shut doors for yourself. So what would you rather have? Um, yeah. So for foreign athletes and that's all, and I mean, you kind of nailed it a hundred percent and that's, that's, you know, not, not only just at the soccer level, but any sport you look at going into, you know, the university, that's what needs to be the mindset. And, and it's really, I mean, you, the way you're explaining as you were a coach there is, is, perfect. And like, if I'm looking for a university that has a coach that supports, you know, however my kid is approaching academics and his sport together, that that's what you really want in a coach is someone that can address that. And if my, you know, my kid is uh, a teetering around three Oh, or uh, a little bit lower than that. I mean, I didn't, that's a, what you said, pairing up with us, not, I'm not going to say a smarter kid, but a kid with a higher GPA. That's amazing. That'd be like a having, a great tutor right right there living with you um yeah now now and we we're coming up towards the tail end of this so i'm gonna ask a a, a few more questions and then we'll go in like a little speed round but um 
for the the foreign recruit or the foreign athlete looking to be at an American university, is that a slightly different path or how are you getting exposure uh, to those athletes outside the United States? And then, um, you know, what, what can they do to find a path to an American university to play their sport? Absolutely. So that, that is, um, that's happening a whole lot more on the soccer side of things. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, there's, um, a lot of, a. uh, very well established academies, youth development systems over uh, around the world. And those players are recognizing college at, you know, uh, there is a university level of soccer, a lot of places, but it's usually not very high. And so a lot of guys at 18, 19, 20 are realizing, Hey, I'm, I'm, I can play at a high level and get my degree and pursue professional, uh, aspirations or just see a different part of the world, uh, through going to, going to college in the United States um, and, uh, and, and playing. So, um, the, the couple ways that I've, I've seen most effective, um, you know, usually the video piece and, and, uh, having a, a real well put together CV to be able to send out, but you send, you know, you send out these blasts and then everybody is, uh, um, uh, everybody gets those and some people read, some people don't. So, um, that's one way. The other way that I've seen it, which is, is really, uh, common now is recruiting by, by friends, by players who are in place and you know, they're having a good experience, whatever the case may be. And then they can put you in touch with a, a coach or, or whatever. And then these services, there's a lot of different services. There's obviously good and bad about them, but, um, there's showcases, you know, I know there's showcases in quite a few different countries in Europe and South America that are, um, uh, and even in Africa where, um, where players are, are being found, uh, by, you know, people will bring in these coaches, uh, um, and have them there for a week or a couple of days and they'll see a couple showcase games. And that's a good way for, for players to get picked up. So that's, that's obviously one way. Um, and then, but then also doing your research and saying, Hey, here are the, here's a couple schools, um, that I'm interested in. And here's my video, here's my CV. And then making sure that you're aware of the translation of academic information to each school and every school is going to be different. Some systems like CSU or UC will be similar, but then also the individual schools could be different. So it's important to do, do your homework on that. As you've uh, moved on to professional coaching now, uh, what, what can you talk about is, is, you know, now talking about that college athlete that's looking to make that, that jump to semi-pro or professional, what are the major differences in, um, a, a college player, uh, and a professional player? And, you know, what's the reality of going pro for those college athletes or soccer players? Um, yeah, so that's the, the, Benefit here in the United States is that the professional options are expanding um, year after year. There, there's there's more jobs available. Um, I think that there's a. It's I think it has a lot to do with the college season um, being so so short. There's an, a higher emphasis on uh, winning winning the game as opposed to developing good habits for training. So it's like college soccer is a lot about winning and recovery and, uh, you know, professional soccer is a lot about like training development, like of an idea through the week to be able to then win 
um, on the weekend and continue to win success successfully over time. So the training habits become really, really important. And that's where I see most players, uh, just their standard for, uh, for training habits. You see a couple colleges that produce a lot of players going professionally and those coaches really hammer into those guys. Hey, training habits are important. Even if, you know, we're not having uh, a, a full week of training every week, it's more prep for the game and whatnot, but still their habits or during the off season, they really hammer those habits. And so that's where you see a, a big change and the ability to, to, um, to then do that against men. Um, you see a lot of players, their first year into the professionals uh, kind of start really hot and then burn out um, because they just haven't been used to sustaining that for 10 months, 11 months out of the year. That's mm-hmm. been like a crazy three, three and a half months and then a couple months of a break and then back in the spring which isn't as intense as the fall. So it's, it's really that adjustment to life uh, at a higher intensity for a much longer, much longer duration that I see players, players struggling with along with the training habits. Now this question is um, probably a very heavy weighted question and, and you don't have to go deep, deep, deep into details, but uh, from the soccer perspective or the football perspective, um, what are, and I'm trying to phrase this without you having to give like a, a 20 minute answer. Cause I know there's a lot to it, but um, some of the top skills, um, particular to position, the posi- specific positions on the field that you look for, whether it's college recruiting, let's just talk college recruiting with it because professional is a, a whole nother thing. But if you're out yeah. recruiting, looking at players, top ones, you could keep it, you know, the top one or two, if you want to answer that. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Um, obviously, every coach is going to be different. Um, every coach is 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 going to see the game different, want to play the game differently, and and um, so you know, no two coaches being the same. I can't I can't really speak for for everyone. I can speak for myself. Um, and the two the two things that I would say, especially for young players, as they're kind of moving through the junior high and high school ages, looking at, at college. Um, I, I joke with players, but the best way to improve, one of the best ways to improve your, your, your first touch and your, your passing technique with different surfaces of both feet is literally to spend a lot of time with the ball in a wall. Um, and you can get a friend out there, handball courts are perfect for it. But, um, if you can hit a ball off a different point in the wall and receive, however it comes off, if you can, um, hit a ball and it's really, you know, it's, it's easy to try different things. So it's important that you're, you know, it's not like, Hey, I have to complete this pass because we're in training. It's more like, Hey, challenge yourself to, to try the one that you messed up yesterday in training over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, because in soccer, the control of the ball is what buys time and space. And that's as you, uh, as you certainly want to move up levels, the best thing you can do is be in really in control of the ball and you don't touch the ball a lot in the game, but, um, um, but you still, you, you need to, um, be able to touch it well in the three minutes or so that you're, that you're on it. Right. And so 
something that, you know, 30 minutes a day can make the world of difference. If you think about how many, how many days a week you could do that from 12 to 17 and, and where you would be at receiving balls, passing balls, different surfaces, left, right. Um, and, and all of that. Um, so that's one. The other thing that I think is very undervalued, uh, it's shown. So the, the, a lot of the research shows that players who, um, actually scan the field more and look for information off the ball, make complete more forward passes than players who scan less. And so it's a, it's a little thing, but it can make a world of difference. So players, usually lower level players watch the ball more higher level players, watch the position of the defensive line or the position of their teammates on the opposite side of the field rather than the ball. Um, and so that, that little thing for a young player, um, you know, if you watch any of the best players in the world, Messi, Ronaldo, and they're, they're really bad examples because they're so elite that they, they, it changes their, their search strategy, but, um, other, you know, other players that are, are top players, whether it's center backs, goalkeepers, midfielders, forwards, they look more. Um, they, they look for more information more frequently than, than other players. And so those are the kind of the two that I would say without going into a half an hour explanation. Um, but looking and checking your surroundings for information and that's attack, defense, transition, doesn't matter. Um, and then spending a ton of time with a ball and a wall and some cones and really making yourself as comfortable as possible with the ball coming anywhere and, and being able to send it quickly uh, on target is they're helpful no matter where you end up playing. So last question before we go into this little fun speed round, um, it's just kind of a, an open ended last, you know, if you had, you know, one big piece of advice for, you know, uh, soccer athletes that are looking to make it to the next step, you know, what, what would it be? What, what should they focus on? Um, yeah. So my one piece of advice is that no coach will ever give you everything that you need to be where you want to be. And I think that that's one thing that I learned on my journey. Um, always searching for a coach to give me information that would make the difference. And, and, uh, I had some really good coaches, but they never gave me everything. So I had to, to do what I wanted it, to do what I wanted to do, I had to do more. I had to search for more. I had to really think outside the box in terms of how I can get better. Um, and so I've heard a lot of players say, oh, like my, co- my coach doesn't work on that. And I just kind of smile and because it's just one of those things, right? Like if you're relying on somebody else to get you to where you want to be, then you might not get there. You don't know necessarily if they have the same path for you that you have mapped out. So, um, coaches and, and, you know, supporting people, um, individual coaches, uh, administrators, the school, those types, they're really good resources, but in order to get to where you want to be, you need to be the one that's driving. You need to be the one that's looking for an extra percent here, an extra percent there. Um, and so that's always, that's always my word of advice. Real solid advice. So speed round. This is just a fun little thing. Um, three questions. One to start off is uh, your favorite athlete role model growing up. 
uh, Michael Jordan. So my name is Jordan Farrell. And obviously as a, <laughs> as a young kid in the early nineties, Michael Jordan was, uh, the, the most visible athlete. Um, but also he was an incredible competitor and, uh, I was a, I'm a very competitive person. So that was my, my real, um, guy I love to watch soccer player, big, big, big Xavi Hernandez fan. Um, as I, as I started watching a lot of football is when he was really dominating at FC Barcelona. And so, and it was just fun to watch. He could do everything, but he can really control a game. And, um, I think that was, that was, uh, those would be my, my favorite players. I'm also a big Phil Jackson fan. So I came to Phil Jackson through, and actually that was one of my coaching inspirations is Phil was, he coached two of the greatest basketball players of all time and won a lot with them. And it's kind of cool how one person can have that influence. So, Favorite moment ever in your sport? Favorite, uh, I guess, so favorite moment that you yourself experienced in your sport playing? Yeah. Um, playing. Oof. Uh, yeah, playing. Uh, there was a... <laughs> um, a, a, an assist that I had to one of my, one of my best friends who we grew up together and then we played four years of college together. And it was a sweet move. It was a game winner in overtime and he hit the daylights out of it. Um, and it was just, it was, yeah, it was, that's one of my favorite. favorite All right. Moments. Favorite professional sports moment that you got to witness, not, not necessarily in person, but just, just watching. Yeah, no, um, certainly in person. So, I went to, I went on a trip and saw Barcelona play Espanol, which is a big, um, big, big derby, um, in, in the city of Barcelona. Espanol is kind of like the, the, uh, they're not the big global brand club in Barcelona, Barcelona. So we went, we watched and, um, and just an incredible move by Iniesta to keep his feet and slide a ball to Messi. Messi dribbled like six guys on top of the 18 and shot. And then the rebound, um, the rebound was finished by Suarez. And it was, it's a, it's an insane moment. Like we had also been listening to some lectures from, from Barcelona earlier, uh, a couple of days before. So we, we had this whole picture of kind of what they were dreaming about building players and, you know, insight into their youth development strategy. And, and you have two guys who were really developed through their Academy at the 13 on up age groups. And, uh, it was, I, I've, I've not seen balance like that. And then just messy being messy. was just unreal. So <laughs> I think I was jumping up and down, hugging the guy next to me. Uh, so it was, it was cool. That's something yeah, that that'd be amazing experience in person. So Jordan Farrell, head coach, Oakland roots sports club. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk to us and, and, and help people understand the process of recruiting of professional versus collegiate versus high school. Um, be sure uh, to go check out Oakland Roots Sports Club. They, they should be kicking off here in a few months. They're in preseason right now. Um, so they're already started, but but their um, official matches will get going, help grow uh, soccer or football in the Bay Area. It's a beautiful spot to, to have a team. So head out there, check them out, Oakland Roots Sports Club. Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you for listening to the Making an Athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at makinganathlete.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.